with another episode of the Functional Fanaholics. We're starting to multiply like gremlins here. We're going from two to three because uh, apparently two knuckleheads was not enough. Who's this uh, funny looking guy in the middle here? The one and only. The champ. <laughs> that's a mug bite your head, dude? I see the trophy up there, man. That's extremely painful uh, opening for you on the show. If I was uh, running the show like Ryan, I'd have kicked you off already. <laughs> hey, Marcus. Hey, as one of the co-founders of Function of Fanaholics, really, really happy to have you on today. Um, so, yeah, look forward to having you on, on more episodes moving forward. So before we get started, just kind of want to address, address the listeners with a couple kind of couple. Hey, you know what? You guys spoke. We listened, all right? So this is a work in progress. You know, last week I had a pretty much a crash course in how to do video editing and, uh, you know, producing a podcast. So, um, but hey, we took some of your feedback and, we, and we, we're taking it to heart. We're making some changes. So first and foremost, one of the things we want to do, we got to condense the format. We're going to try to keep this down to 45 minutes. Instead of a 12-pack of questions, we're going to open up six-pack of questions instead. Go easy on the livers, you know? Um, also, too, hey. I love Mob Deep Shook ones, but I know that music was a little bit distracting, so we're going to cut that out. Keep it for the intros, keep it for the outros. I love vibing to it, but hey, I heard I heard what you guys asked for, so we're going to get rid of that. Also, too, I got a new and improved editing software, so hopefully the export quality is going to be a little bit better. And, which is something that we are really excited about, we're going to start having guests moving forward. So, uh, you know what? If the people in leagues with us, if the friends of us, you know, people that just want to come on, talk about fantasy world, talk about players they love, players that are burned them, we're going to start having uh, guests on the show a little bit more regularly too. So we're really excited for that. So now before we do get started, I have a question because I know the entire fantasy football world is dying to know your thoughts on this. Not sure if you guys heard, but Momo the monkey that was terrorizing the city of Indianapolis last week was captured, he's back in captivity. A week later, he is doing just fine. So happy to hear that. I mean, guys, how how thrilled are you by that news? Because I know we were all all very, very concerned for our friend Momo. I've, uh, I've personally never been so proud of the <clears throat> show. Apparently, I'm completely out of the loop and I was unaware that there was a <laughs> monkey on the loose. So not only are you going to learn a little bit about fantasy football on the show, you're going to learn about some animals on the loose. Oh, Lord. Marcus, were you aware of this or was I the only one in the dark? I mean, luckily, I mean, Indy's on the road this week, so they can't celebrate too hard there. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Sweet Jesus. Off to off to a good start here. Yeah, well, any toes, yeah? No, no doubt about it. Marcus, what's your what's your thoughts being on this uh, on this podcast? What'd you think after uh, week one, tuning in and watching? Were you were you proud of your boys? Oh, of course. I mean, I think that it's uh, it's growing pains that we're all going to go through and have to listen to, but I think we're going to get there one way or another. We'll figure this thing out. I have a feeling that this podcast is either going to get you a raise at work or it's going to get you, you canned and fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's good chances of both, but luckily we're trying to keep this thing PG. So at least we have a little bit of a oversight. HR, HR is the next hire. So <laughs> I'll be in charge of a HR. I have the best, <laughs> yeah. the best uh, filter here, right? 
Well, what do you think? You want to get into some league news? All right. The uh, league news is uh, something that usually is hopefully something that's positive. Uh, a league signing happening or, you know, something to, to get excited about your fantasy team. Uh, what what I, I hope there's not another league news uh, segment like this throughout the year. I think between all the leagues we're all in, everybody has to be affected uh, by the the just the players that got uh, injured and are out for a significant amount of time. You're talking about obviously the consensus number one overall pick in Justin Jefferson. He, uh, you know, was a part of a high volume uh, offense. I'm not even totally sure if he's wide receiver one at this point, but God knows if we were doing a redraft, I don't know if there's anybody that wouldn't go with him number one overall. I know Richardson's on IR. He was the per quarter played quarterback one by a wide margin by almost six or seven points a game. I know I have them across multiple multiple leagues, and I know Ryan does too. So anybody that waited on him had to have just been excited that they actually got it right, like Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson from years past, where when you waited on that quarterback, you weren't sacrificing having an elite player. Uh, you know, and then I think almost everybody's favorite player, uh, not quite to the Odell Beckham level, but. Uh, a young player that bursts onto the scene that's as much fun as as HN, you know, is just a, a wrecking ball. Jefferson's probably wide receiver one. HN, I know, was running back number three, and Richardson was obviously showing out. Uh, so it's just a, a bummer to, to deal with that. And, uh, you know, you had secondary players like James Conner and Khalil Herbert and players like that that are obviously out for multiple weeks that have really affected the landscape of the league as well. Uh, across your leagues, uh, how do you guys see the effect of that? Yeah, well, a couple of Richardson and a couple of redrafts. One of the super flex, insulated myself there, had a couple of uh, quarterbacks to play at Howell and uh, pick it on my bench too. Um, didn't really hurt me that bad there. I got him in my R spot. My redraft single quarterback league, I wasn't really too worried about it. My strategy going in was to load up on wide receivers and get a secure tight end. And in a single quarterback league, it's kind of easy to lose a quarterback. It doesn't really hurt that much. There's usually five or six guys out there that are startable every week. So um, the A-Train one, uh, that one's kind of interesting to me. That guy, did you know he was averaging 12 yards per carry before he got hurt? Like that guy only needed like seven, eight touches a week to be an RB1. Just, just astonishing player amazing talent and just so fun to watch and my thing is it's like whether i have a guy or not when you take those guys off the field it just it it lessens the product right it makes the game not as fun to watch when you don't have jj out there when you don't have a chain out there um so it, definitely sad to see those guys um take some time off well i think i even on top of all that they're just consistent injuries every week Nonstop. Somebody's going down. Kelsey went down last week. All this turf situation is happening. Barkley's still down. I mean, it's just nonstop. Yeah, you wonder I, if the NFL is ever going to address the turf thing. I, I, I mean, I've seen some numbers <clears throat> and stuff where, like, and I don't know how accurate it is, but when they throw figures out, they're like, oh, it's only tough. Would only take twelve million dollars for the entire NFL to go to some kind of hybrid model. Like it's kind of astonishing that they won't do that. I know they got FIFA coming up, which I know a lot of fields are going to have to convert. I think that's like twenty-seven or twenty-nine. Um, one of my favorite those sound bites from the whole the whole AstroTurf versus like grass kind of argument. 
don't know if you guys caught this. They interviewed Quinnen Williams and they asked him, what would you prefer to play on? And he goes, grass, turf, I don't care. I'll play on freaking concrete. Like, isn't that what you want to hear from your defensive lineman? Like, that's that's my defensive guy right there. Like, All right. Yeah, but so, they've, they've, they've argued about, you know, Foxborough and Green Bay all the time with that half turf that gets frozen. I mean, I don't think there's really a, a win situation in the whole thing. But to uh, come at it from a depressing, you know, angle in the sense that I'm always skeptical of just about anything you're talking about a league that is just access to just billions of dollars of revenue they could do whatever they want they could encrust the field in diamonds if they want <laughs> the thing that i would say about it from a skeptical <clears throat> standpoint is if you're asking me in a conspiracy theory i guarantee the league has done research on just like basketball like they want a basketball game to be 131 to 126. Nobody wants to watch the Pistons beat somebody 78 to 72. I guarantee they've done research on what scores more points, which is running on turf and making super wildly athletic people really even more athletic because they can stop on a dime. They don't care if their cleats get stuck in the turf. They just know that on turf, maybe the Rams greatest show on turf averages 36.2 points per game and more people tune in to watch offense than defense. So when they can encrust the field in diamonds or they can put turf or grass, I don't think they care. I bet you the behind the closed doors, they're sitting there saying, hey, we don't really care. The NFL doesn't e is the only major sport that doesn't even guarantee contracts. Nobody, nobody wants Justin Jefferson to get hurt, but do you really think that they're really worried about their non-guaranteed contract players uh, having a, a one to four year average, you know, career in the NFL. They're just turning and burning with more people coming from college every year. That's what my guess would be. No, I think you're right. I mean, the the the, the bench is pretty deep with college ball and the level of athleticism that comes from there. So yeah, maybe you're right. Just burn so, through these guaranteed contracts. <laughs> Don't worry, Marcus. Uh, your your contract here is guaranteed. Ooh. Guaranteed. Yours might not be, but mine is. <laughs> so I think our conversation makes a natural transition into what we're going to do on the show. Usually, is go from you know an around the league news into waiver talk. It's Wednesday. Uh, most people have uh, had their waivers process. Uh, you know, looking through the different leagues that I was in at the quarterback position, guys like Purdy, Stafford, and Minshew kind of at a, hey, I hope Purdy's available. Most likely Stafford was almost available in every league. And if you're really desperate or in a really deep league, you could, or a two QB league, you could go with Minshew. Did you guys have any quarterbacks that got shook loose that you thought really were going to make way? Yeah, in the league I lost, my single quarterback league, I, I lost Richardson. I was looking at both Howell and Purdy were out there. Um, I went with Howell because I already had Kyler kind of stashed in my RR. And I want to keep Kyler there. And Purdy was going to have his bye, like right in the middle of, of Richardson's, like being injured. So I was like, you know what? Howell is probably, you know, I got like six or seven games that I could ride that guy. The schedule looks pretty good. Plus, he's been rushing a little bit more, too, and that defense is so bad that he's usually going to be in a position where he's going to have to play some catch-up. So um, I went with Howell on that one. 
Marcus, as far as uh, running backs that I saw available in leagues, I think most people, if he was available, were crossing their fingers and looking for Roshan Johnson, just because not only could he break out while while Herbert's out, but you might have the starting running back for the rest of the year. But Jeff Wilson coming off of IR, and then the guy that uh, you don't see me with in any leagues is the DeMarcado. I mean, is this guy <laughs> own like an Italian restaurant? What's going on there? I mean, I think the Arizona backfield is going to be challenging at best. I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of handcuffs that are coming off of preseason injuries also. I mean, I think that's the other thing that's maybe some fantasy owners aren't looking at is some of these guys coming off the bench. So well, it's going to be interesting. Ingram, that, right? Didn't we just right? see that this week with Ingram? Like the day after everybody overbids on Dare Mikado, they go, oh, by the way, Ingram's listed as the starter on the depth chart. Now he's coming back. Like, Yeah, it's wild. So. I think it's yeah. going to be a challenging next couple of weeks. And then, you know, even back to the quarterback question, I have Kirk Cousins in a two QB league. I think that's it's going to be a risky play without Jefferson there. So I have to reach, reach a little deep. Hey, I got a couple extra quarterbacks if you need one, man. Come, <laughs> come and talk and we'll make some trades. Uh, Mike, I do have a question for you, though. And something that I've seen kind of across leagues, um, and I'm not sure if it's just kind of the nature of the industry, nature of the league and kind of nature of the position, um, or if it's like, hey, I know in a couple of leagues where I see that, like, I know I set a precedent, I overbid on Puka in two leagues, like, by a lot. Um, but I feel like it's just like every time in a running back opportunity, like a player becomes, you know, has an opportunity, right? The player goes down, <laughs> then the handcuff steps up. People are overbidding like crazy. Is that just because they're so desperate at, at running back? Or what are your thoughts on that? My opinion on that is it irritates me because I was destroying people in fantasy football before information was available at people's fingertips. <laughs> like my win percentage across leagues was just absolutely disgusting. And it, it was because at the time I was willing to do more work than other people and the information wasn't at their fingertip. If you listen to other podcasts and God knows you're hurting these three guys feelings. If you're listening to other podcasts, you hear the analysts give the suggestion of being like, Hey, there's only going to be a couple guys out, you know, each year that can affect or be league winners. So make sure you get them. And I always see the teams that I think across my leagues are kind of weak. Like in fantasy fo football, being like weak never pans out. The owners that are really cautious and they draft really cautious and they're kind of frugal with their fob money, I don't usually see those guys climb the ranks and win a lot of, lot of leagues. So if you see a guy or you realize <clears throat> chipping a chair in the fantasy playoffs is worth so much, the number one way to win a title is you have to get into the playoffs. So valuing each week and seeing when I trade Scott in week seven, and it's some <laughs> popcorn small trade where I'm trading a bye week running back to, for, to Scott for his bye week, and he's trading me a low-level wide receiver that's better than somebody that I could get off the waiver wire and it works in alignment for both of our teams, I'm doing that just because I realize at the end of the year that one game might be why I get in or I don't get in. So I think to me, more analysts are suggesting to people to be more aggressive and, and to frankly draw a line in the sand to make a stand 
and on players that you believe in. I just think this year happens to have more players that are just kind of ridiculous. Like back in the day, Darren McFadden had Michael Bush that you famously always tried to stop me from getting, uh, Marcus. And uh, I think it was like clear cut. You knew if McFadden went down, you knew it was clear that Bush was going to be a top 10 running back. Now you got this guy running an Italian restaurant in DeMarcado where you're like, who is this dude? Like, did this guy just come from the USFL? I mean, what, what are we even talking about? Like, I couldn't even stomach putting in like $5 for this guy because I know I pay a lot of attention. And if I don't know who that guy is, nobody mm-hmm. should know who that guy is. You know, so when bids were coming in in the 25s, 30s, 35s, I've even saw one at 41 in one of my leagues. I was like, you got to be kidding me with this. At best, that's a, just a, a peanuts cover. You're, you're hoping for a 50-50 timeshare. They're never going to give him 20 touches. If Keontae Ingram did not come back, they're going to sign Leonard Fournette off the street or something. There's no way that's going to work out, but that's not my five money to spend, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, yeah. Well, I also think that it also depends on how your team is staged. I had to pay up for him because I'm a Connor owner and there's not a lot of running backs to be had. Yeah. So my team was weak at running back. So I had to do something. Yeah. yeah so, it's, it's understandable. Nobody has guilted into it. Nobody's sitting there with running backs. I know very few teams as somebody sitting there with, Hey, I'm not even going to sweat the waiver wire this week when my RB one or RB two went down because I have three more bullets sitting in the chamber that are better than anything on the waiver wire. Like nobody has that luxury right now for the uh, sake of, uh, you know, moving the waiver uh, discussion on Ryan on wide receivers, any opinions on best case scenario Palmer from the chargers. I kind of thought like, you know, a guy that was realistic was KJ Osborne on the wire. And then if you were really deep diving in a deep league, I thought Josh Downs was interesting just by what you see from Minshew and how much he likes to pepper uh, the slot receiver. Any wide yeah, receivers? Yeah, I mean, KJ, KJ's the obvious one, right? We've seen we've seen him produce before. We've seen him at games. We've seen him blow a top off of, of, of defenses before. So, I mean, I think KJ was the obvious one. But my, my concern with KJ is, like, is Minnesota going to keep trying? Like really, like his car. How I'm sorry. How long is Cousins going to be there? Are they even going to bring you know? Um, are they going to bring Jefferson back? Like what that offense is going to look like? You know, in three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks. Like I just couldn't put a big bid on him. Um, Downs that I really liked. I think Downs is a good one. You know, Minshew seems to really, really like him and definitely targets him. And Palmer should have been owned. Like I'm sorry, if Palmer was out there. I'm not sure what your league is doing, but Palmer probably should have been owned in just about every league. Um, you know, as soon as as soon as Mike Williams went down, you knew Palmer was kind of stepping up. Quentin Johnston is still a work in progress. You know, I don't expect a lot. Maybe you'll see more of him towards the end of the season and into next year. But um, Palmer should have probably already been owned. I agree. Uh, there's no more fitting person than this next topic, which is waiver you know, tight end discussion. And Marcus, I view you as the tight end of the fantasy football community, you know, just not getting the credit that you deserve. Sure, it's a little bumpy and, (laughs) you know, you're you're crossing your fingers each week. But um, tight ends that I thought were at the tail end of everybody's, are they owned or are they not? And you're just kind of crossing your fingers for five for 15, a touchdown where Logan Thomas, Cole Komet, and then Zach Ertz. 
it's like those dirty players that nobody really wants to be their starter, but you have mm-hmm. to start somebody in that spot. Any tight ends that you uh, saw or in your league that you feel, you know, are going to be more than a one to two week band-aid before you switch them into another. Well, if you have Hunter Henry, cut his ass. <laughs> worth nothing. Cut him. Lost me the lost me the last week with uh, one target, no catches. But no, I think Schultz actually is coming around. I mean, obviously, I see a little bit more action from him being in Houston, but and I drafted him in the league. Um, then I cut him. Uh, kind of regret that now because I could could use him. But I mean, I think that's about it. I mean, there's not a lot of tight ends out there. You're grasping. I I was going right in the hunter train for a while, and it worked out for me for one week, and then burnt me two and back to back. So. Well, um, I just, just don't don't know if it can be trusted. Don't forget that uh, the New England Patriots' amazing offense is right now averaging ten point six points per game. That's, that's... <clears throat> Jake Elliott has more NFL points scored than the entire New England offense. Let that that's sink good. in, Bill Belichick. He miss he might be missing Josh McDaniels more than he misses Tom Brady. Like that is wild. Bad. All right, we are back and we are about ready and probably the most exciting, you know, new segment addition we could possibly uh, add to our podcast. Here is uh, we get to act like we're doing something productive here when really we're just trying to consume a delicious. Uh, Oktoberfest beer from Bell's Brewery representing Michigan. Yes, Bell's, we would love to have you as a sponsor. So that's what I will be sampling. It's very fitting for the uh, the month of uh, October and uh, that little caramely Oktoberfest pop. Always my favorite. Oh, quite the pitch. See, I'm changing up. I got some Blue Moon Light Sky. These are actually pretty good. Nice casual beers. Keep it casual. And I am sipping on my drink is a drink of necessity, not a drink of choice. It's a little golf course favorite called the Transfusion. The ginger ale, I had a very, very long weekend, wedding weekend. The ginger ale is to help my stomach that is still messed up from the weekend. The grape juice is to disguise all remnants of alcohols because I think my body might shut down if it realized I was drinking alcohol. Literally, my... My body, you know the end of Pineapple Express when they're sitting there in the diner and Danny McBride's got like the brace neck and he's all like burnt and beat up? That's how I felt Monday afternoon, Monday morning when I woke up. It was, yeah, pretty rough. So, cheers. I I was actually texting uh, Andy and trying to make sure you were alive because Mm -hmm. I sent you not annoying questions like actual pertinent information that you would very easily respond back to. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, I, I know he had a weekend, but I, I'm like concerned that we need to put out a search party for him. I, I had to go into recovery mode. So <laughs> feeling better though, getting back, back to normal. So mm-hmm. I just taking an extra day. When you get old, those those hangovers last a little bit longer. So uh, but hey, moving into our six pack of questions, I'm going to open up the first one. I want to talk to about a player that I was pretty high on um, in the preseason. Um, you know, so I'm a guy that I ended up, you know, I snagged him in both of my dynasty leagues. Um, I got him in all of my, ended up getting him in all my redrafts. He was kind of one of those, almost one of those must-own players for me. Um, and if there's one thing that we have learned throughout history is every king has to hand over that crown eventually. So one of the players I want to talk about is Derrick Henry. And the other player that I want to talk about is Tajay Spear. 
very personal favorite of mine. So let's break down the numbers real quick. So if we look at if you look at Derrick Henry's versus Ty J. Spears numbers, so Derrick Henry's rush attempts are 86 rushes for 328 yards. Um, that's nine and also nine receptions for 101 yards and two total touchdowns. Ty J. Spear, on the other hand, has 27 carries for 126 yards with 14 receptions, 63 yards, and one total touchdown. So definitely fantasy points have been favoring Derrick Henry, as they probably should. But let's, let's dive into this even a little bit more, right? So we start looking at snap percentages. Snap percentages at Derrick Henry is at 55% to Ty J. Spears, 50. However, this is where it starts to get interesting, right? When we see the opportunity efficiency, the opportunity efficiency of Derrick Henry is at 70.4, where Ty J. Spears is only 29.6. Obviously, that shows in the output, that shows in the fantasy football numbers. Now, if we look at the true yards per carry and true yards per touch, true yards per carry, Derrick Henry is 3.7 to Ty J. Spears, 5.2. Yards per touch, 4.5 for Derrick Henry to Tajay Spears, 5.3. So Tajay's looking a little bit more explosive. Maybe he's doing a little bit more with those touches. Okay. And even furthermore, Tajay Spear has 11 evaded tackles to Derrick Henry, 17. And if you put that on a per touch basis, Tajay Spears actually has a higher evade tackle rate. Now, let's try to read these tea leaves, right? There's some other factors at play here. One of the reasons why I was high on Tajay and one of the reasons why I still am. Derrick Henry is 29 years old. He is no spring chicken. He's had almost 2,000 career touches, and over 1,500 of those came in the last five years. That is a lot of tread on that big man's tires. Most running backs, you start to deteriorate when they get to that level, you know. However, I know that Derrick Henry, a little bit of a mute. Okay. However, also, this is the last year of his contract. There was no signs, there was no conversations about renewing or extending this guy. Makes him a pretty, pretty good trade candidate. And it's probably highly likely that he's not going to be in Tennessee next year, which opens up the door for Tyja. If you can go after him in Dino, I strongly suggest going after him. I've had people coming at me after me for him in my, in my leagues and also in redrafts. Hey, if you have Derrick Henry, probably should have already had Tyja. If you can snag him, snag him. If you can get him in like a keeper league, I think he's a strong, strong buy candidate. However, I think the fantasy football community is kind of starting to come on to him already. And I think it might be, you know, he's already coming into that flex play, um, you know, being able to put a plug in that flex play. So um, I don't know, Mike, what else you got? You got anything to add on that? What I would say about that is this segment is very fitting because I feel like all of the Derrick Henry owners have been drinking beers like they're coming on for this segment, but really they're just drinking to deal with the ups and downs of, uh, you know, Tajay Spears looming and uh, Derrick Henry's performance. Your analysis of that situation, I feel that one of the community colleges like owes me a doctorate degree for listening to the amount of information you just pumped out there. So I want you to know I'm impressed and I feel like I just layered on a piece of paper I'm going to put behind me on the wall. So uh, speaking about the... <laughs> I think the only issue with him is he's a little undersized. I think he's like a CJ size, 200 pounds. All, all fantasy owners, every time you pick up a waiver wire running back, always click on and see how much he weighs. And the history of the NFL, if a running back is over 209 pounds any bit, 210, all the way up to 245 or 250, the likelihood of them having a three down workload and breaking out is way higher than under 209. So always look for that. And he does clear that, 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 that 
you know, criteria. So as a pass catching and running specialist, I'm a huge Tajay Spear fans and Ryan's right. And Dino, uh, you should be overpaying for him because you're going to get a young running back for free, basically for what you'd have to give up to get him. to go from one backfield. That seems like a little bit of a mess on a terrible team and with no offensive direction. Henry might get traded. Tannehill might get traded. Uh, Marcus, I mean, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about uh, ATN. And even though Jacksonville's kind of been a little bit up and down, I don't think anybody that took Travis ATN in the third or fourth round is disappointed at all with what they've gotten from him. No, I mean, I think the the number one concern with ETN is the volatility. I mean, RB1 last week, followed up before that. 22, then 9, then 39, then 6. I mean, this guy is a yo-yo. I mean, it's it's really hard to track this guy to, to, to hope for consistency. At least he is the lead back. But the one thing that I, I noticed looking at all of his, his gameplay tracking is he is very susceptible to the gameplay. If, if they're up, then they're going to just run this guy to the ground. He's going to pick up garbage yards over and over. But if they are down, they don't give this guy a look. So every game that he was RB39 or RB22. Jacksonville was down. So I think that leads into um, a lot of volatility to just hope that Jacksonville is up. I mean, that's what you're hoping for this guy. So, I mean, some running backs, I mean, they can have, you know, their team could be, you know, way down. They're still getting looks. They're still getting, you know, passes, but not this guy. So do I love him? Yes, because I own him, but... Can I can I think that he's going to be super consistent? No, because we've already proven that he's a RB thirty nine. So uh, I'm hopeful this week that he puts something together against Indy again. You know, he's RB six against Indy week one, so maybe he can he can run it back. But it just depends depends on the pace of play. The, so I think the one saving grace with ETN is that Tank did not cut into his workload like everyone in the preseason thought like everything you heard is watch out for tank bigsby watch out for tank he's gonna catch, he can catch the ball better he can run he's a bigger running back through the tackles i was i thought he was going to cut into that workload a lot you're just not seeing it yeah the uh the fact that i'm on this show right now is making it difficult for me to send you a uh, trade Marcus for Travis ATN. So after this is done recording, <laughs> make sure you check for the trade that I'm about to send you. I see, I see a crack and you know, with me, all it takes is a crack. So, um, we're all from the state of Michigan. If those of you, you know, who are listening, do not realize you can see Ryan over here in Florida, Tampa, Florida, representing his lions. This is one of the few times that we've ever had the chance to be proud of this, uh, this state's, uh, football team. Obviously, Marcus is in Houston, right, Texas, yep. right? You've moved around a little bit, and I know you ended up in Houston. I would have been really awesome if we had talked to each other and made sure we were uniform in our Lions support. But right. I know uh, you're a Michigander. There we go. There we go. And obviously, uh, you know, repping, repping the Lions, this might be uh, one of our only chances. We only have so many times <laughs> left. So. Yeah. Um, do it without embarrassment. I wanted to give the uh, the Lions a little bit of love here and find a way to do it in fantasy. And I know those of you who have David Montgomery and Sam Laporta are just over the moon with excitement about these two. Um, you know, like Montgomery. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was the RB23 on average. 
He was drafted with a sixth pick of the seventh round. At that point, you're just looking for a depth piece. What you ended up actually getting was the RB7 currently, and that's completely skewed because he's missed a game. So he's actually averaging 26 points a game in our league, which is really more like 23-ish if you get into a league that isn't given points per carry, but give me a break. You're talking about a, a running back that's on pace to score 442 mm-hmm. points in our league. And the RB1 in our league last year was Austin Eckler at 422 points. You have a guy drafted in the seventh round that is in, on pace. Mind you, he's got to stay healthy, and all these guys have to stay healthy. But I don't think anybody in the seventh round was thinking that they were going to get a guy that was going to score more points than Austin Eckler last year. And then with Laporta, numbers are skewed a little bit. You have the number one overall tight end. He's played five games. Kelsey's about three or four points behind him. He's only played four. But if you went into this season when you were drafting Laporta with 11th pick of the 13th round, that's almost when you're drafting kickers and defenses and you're getting a guy averaging 14 points a game that's being talked in the discussion with the the god himself, Zeus, better known as Travis Kelsey. I mean, that that's like something when you're drafting that you, you might joke about when you're drinking your 12th beer at the draft and you draft him in the 13th round. Nobody actually believes that's going to happen. So his pace at 14 a game, and you got to remember that's a tight end, so that number actually doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. That's a 238-point pace. Last year... Travis Kelsey was just an absolute freak of nature and got to 338. But that 238, still, Hawkinson was tight end two last year at 222 points. So he would be 16 points ahead of what Hawkinson did as the tight end two. And you got that guy in the 13th round. I mean, Hawkinson last year, at least you had to give up a mid, you know, a mid round pick, like a sixth, seventh, eighth round pick. I mean, you're, you're drafting a guy next to kickers and defenses and, you, you you know, there's an outside chance he's tight end one. I mean... Don't you Mike, you're going to love this one. I know, Marcus, you've yet... Well, actually, I don't know if you have yet, but Marcus, I don't know if you've yet to feel this pain. Laporta has as many touchdowns this season, in his first season, as Kyle Pitts has in his career. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, will, I, some, will somebody tattoo these tears <laughs> coming yeah. down my face, please? Kyle Pitts, I swear to God. Yeah, right, I think so I think any Lions fan kind of looked at the Lions giving up TJ. I think they were concerned with that trade to Minnesota. Then obviously they backfilled it, but I mean, the buy-in on Gibbs this year was very strong. Yeah, and now here comes Montgomery. The, the 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 ownership in the GM for the Detroit Lions is like in one of those like modes where they're like at a blackjack table and anything they're doing is coming up as 21. I mean, to make Minnesota trade you all that capital and then to take Laporta and then let them sign Hawkinson, I think it was four years, 70 million, all that money up front jacking up their cap, all that stuff. And then you got Laporta with the 34th overall pick. And I got to imagine, I don't know the numbers, but he's probably four years, probably, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 22 or 23 million instead of 70. And he looks like a way more universal tight end that 
reminds me of like a hybrid George Kittle, uh, Rob Gronkowski, because he can actually block. The offensive coordinators are going to love him because he will actually stick his nose in there and then also be able to run and, and, and make plays after the catch. He looks like a stud. I'm so mad I didn't get him in more dynasty leagues. So, Yeah, I'm right there um, with you, Mike. And, and the thing with, with tight ends, though, and I think part of the problem, and one of my strategies going in this year in redrafts was like, I didn't want to play the tight end game, right? Every year there's like four or five of those guys. Like, oh, this guy's going to break out. This guy's going to break out. That guy's going to break out. It is one of the most challenging positions to predict if you like don't have that like already historic track record of them producing. It's like, hey, you just got to throw a bunch of noodles at the wall, see what sticks <laughs> kind of thing. And I didn't want to play that game. That's why I kind of went with like the Andrews route where I could. Um, but like again, too, rookie tight ends. Like this is he's breaking rookie records. No one, no one would have saw this coming. We thought this was going to happen with Pitts. We all saw how that turned out. So I think a lot of people too went into this looking at like Pitts burned me. I'm not letting that happen again. I mean, I was a little gun shy. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there just didn't seem like there was any buy-in by the team at tight end position because they traded out one of their best tight ends they've ever had. They're like, yeah, yeah Laporte. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, rookie, just getting it done. To go from uh, one Iowa tight end to another team that's loved their Iowa tight end that was drafted in the fifth round, and, uh, you know, hopefully he's more consistent than George Kittle. But, Ryan, I wanted to – we touched on it last week with just CMC coming off of a a four- or five-touchdown game. But San Francisco is like a supernova of just – I think most people would say they're the best team in the league. But they are insane to me because their coach could wake up in the morning and spin a wheel and whoever it lands on, he could be like, I'm going to go get that guy 150 and two touchdowns. And it's like, do we need to do it? Can we save them? Can we keep this player healthy? Talk to me about San Francisco. Yes. First of all, supernova is the wrong word. Supernova is burn bright, die young. Juggernaut. Is probably a little bit closer. I said it on the first first episode. Please, guys, don't go back and find it. It's not that good. But I said it on the first episode. I go, San Francisco is the real deal, and I don't think there's a team in the league that can beat them. And I also said in the first episode that I thought Dallas was soft. San Francisco is a better team from top to bottom in almost every position, and especially where it almost matters most, which is at the head coach. I've never been a McCarthy fan. I think Shanahan is one of the best coast it coaches, if not the best coach in the league. That guy can scheme up plays like I have never seen before. Um, so also, too, a couple fun facts about San Fran. They've only played seven plays, offensive plays, while trailing, and they've never trailed in the second half this season. That is insane. So but let's now, enough about the whole team. Let's talk about their skill players and the ones that you maybe have in your fantasy football team. So, hey. The obvious is CMC. He is RB number one, lock and load court, lock and load running back, right? Like if you have him, you're starting him. If you have him, I'm also probably maybe trying to get the grab, maybe a Jordan Mason or somebody for a handcuff because we've all seen that Shannon can just cycle those running backs through and whoever he has taking handoffs from the quarterback is going to produce. Purdy is now up to QB seven. I saw him un- unowned in a league last week. As I mentioned, I had to make the decision between him and Howell. Um, Purdy is number seven. He should be owned in all leagues, and he should be a plug-and-play starter. Like I should be locking near QB position. If you, and if you have a, another QB that's comparable, try to ship one of those guys. Now let's talk about the other skill players, right? We have Kittle at tight end number six. 
Obviously, if you have Kittle, we've already talked about how bad the tight end position is. You probably don't have a lot of other options. Kittle's going to give you a little bit of that yo-yo. We've seen him go out and score three or four points. We see him just last week get three touchdowns out of nowhere, right? So you're going to have to probably live and die by him a little bit. You probably don't have a better option. Plus, I don't think there are a lot of other or a lot of other tight ends that have that upside ceiling that Kittle can get you. Um, now, if we look at the two wide receivers on the outside, right? We have Ayuk at wide receiver number 17 and Debo at wide receiver 18. I do not own any shares of these guys. And honestly, like I'm getting less and less higher on them. I think they're becoming harder and harder to predict who's going to have the game and which one is going to be the guy that you can lean on. I look at them as both as kind of wide receiver two fringe flex plays moving forward. Um, I think if you have, you know, if you have them, they might be, you might have to be starting them. But if you have other solid wide receivers, you might be looking at starting those guys over these guys and kind of make using Debo and Ayuk at kind of flex appeal or flex plays where needed. So, I mean, I don't know if you got differing feelings, but I don't own those guys. I don't know if either of you guys do, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I would love to hear your thoughts. I just think San Francisco is a just a 10 cylinder engine. They're just crazy. I kind of honestly avoided everybody on the team except for CMC just because of the whack-a-mole nature of their, their offensive players. There's no consistency. Unless there's injuries, you can't be predictive with what they're going to do. So that that's a little bit of a bummer. But just from afar, a satellite view of that team, they're just so powerful. And uh, you want a couple pieces of that team because – if the right circumstance happens, you know, especially if you have a receiver in Kittle or one of the two main receivers, uh, you can really catch lightning in a bottle in the fantasy playoffs if it, if everything gets funneled down to, to, to one or two pass catchers. You could have a, t a couple th top five players at their position. Um, a team that's nowhere near the firepower of San Francisco, but has been pretty darn good and is surprised uh, – a lot of people. I don't. I don't know if anybody was really sure about Michael Pittman. I don't know what people really thought Anthony Richardson was going to do. He seems to throw the ball a lot more efficiently than what they expected him just to just be a runner. I don't think I need to get into Zach Moss. I think is 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 running back six or something. I mean, he didn't even play week one, and he's running back six. I mean, that guy has probably scored more points in the last four games than he has in like his entire career combined. What, what's your thoughts, Marcus? I haven't heard you talk about, you know, Jonathan Taylor, your expectation of the transition of snap percentages with Moss. Is Moss going to totally go away? Is he worth holding on to for a handcuff? Because he's obviously proved mm -hmm. there's only so many running backs in this league that you know if the guy ahead of him goes down, you are he's already shown that he's been a top six back. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that JT is JT. However, his first game back was a dud. I mean, 15% of the snaps. Moss had 80% of the snaps. You know, he went for six for 18, one for 60 on, pat on receiving. I mean, Moss obviously had a record game on top of that. I mean, it, it's going to be, I think, a challenging situation. I think Richardson being out is the real wild card in this whole situation. I mean, there is nothing that tells me that this isn't Chubb, Hunt, Gordon, Eckler. I mean, dynamic duo coming through right now. I mean, both these guys have the size that uh, those two combos had in the recent past. So, hey, if you got them both, which I doubt anybody has them both, but if you if you don't try to get them both and 
quite frankly, how do you not start them later on? Both yeah. started both. I mean, everybody was starting Chubb and Hunt. Um, the one thing I think that was a little maybe demoralizing for Taylor that I looked at the, that final drive on Indy up by four. They're trying to run out the clock. Uh, Moss had nine attempts on that final drive. JT had one. So yeah. what's the real confidence level in this whole thing? And we've always we've seen these contracts, holdouts just blow up in everybody's face also. So, I mean, yeah. is that going to happen? Is Ursay going to try to grenade this thing from the inside out because he's just bitter, drunk old man? I mean, what's the situation there? I mean, yes, they paid him, but like we opened up with, no contracts guaranteed. For the record, uh, Ursay, if you're watching this podcast, we would love to drink with you on here. <laughs> You'd be a tremendous addition. So Save him a stable that, whale, drink some beers. I mean, Yeah. $20 million, you won't pay your running back, but you're going to pay $20 million to mail your uh, a whale that isn't even yours across the country to save it. <laughs> Things that jump out at me in that situation with Indianapolis is Richardson had been knocked out of three out of the four games that he played. So they've already shown that that offense can still move the ball even without him there. And I think you see a player like Josh Jacobs sit on his couch and do nothing and then when he came back he obviously has not looked like the josh jacobs from last year i think he's starting yeah. to round into form a little bit i think the uh any running back that's ever gotten paid i don't care if it's nick chubb saquon barkley cmc derrick henry nobody's gotten a top level contract and his contract is a top three running back contract now you, you always just follow the money He's gonna. He's definitely at a minimum yeah. gonna be sixty-five, thirty-five. Realistically, it's probably gonna be seventy, thirty. If you're lucky, it might be seventy-five, twenty-five. But the difference between Taylor and Moss when Taylor's right, and I don't think they pay him unless he's right, because they know what's going on with him. But Taylor is one of those guys that is a freak, a four-three-nine forty you know, 230 pounds. Like this isn't like some little 205 pound scat back or, you know, a chain getting hurt at 187 pounds or whatever he weighs. I mean, you're talking about like, like a, like a, like a prison football coming in the hole there. And if he's right. seen months of daylight and he's healthy, everybody's seen him run away from the defense. So if Zach Moss can be that efficient and that good, and we've seen Zach Moss almost not be NFL caliber, Jonathan Taylor, if he's right, could just literally be at like almost a CMC level. If you if you ask me, he could be at a CMC level. If he's Jonathan Taylor and he's back to two years ago where he was almost rushed for 1,900 yards and went on like 150 yards and two touchdowns every single week, he's he's a nuclear bomb just waiting to blow up. I, I mean, I'm I'm have him in a lot of leagues. I'm trying to get him in a lot of leagues, so. Yeah, I just I don't I don't think that you can reflect back on that history. Obviously, there was a lot of off season turmoil that happened that you have to account for. I mean, it just happens. Like you said, you get paid, you kind of things happen. And I, again, I I think this this ownership situation is a little bit deeper than maybe you can you can think about. But we've we've seen it owners grenade players' careers. Yeah, you know, over I, something I, that's so minimal and spiteful. Winning a game, okay, that's fine. Is Ursay going to make less billions of dollars? Nope. There's been a lot of times 
where players flex their leverage in the NFL, which they have very limited leverage against a billionaire owner. And, uh, you know, you've seen those guys come back. Like Barkley just had a situation where he sat there. You haven't heard a peep out of New York being mad at Barkley once he signed for an extra million and a half for the season. Josh Jacobs is sitting on his couch, you know, you know, sending X or Twitter, you know, you know, messages, giving the middle finger to the Raiders and all of a sudden he signed and you, <laughs> you haven't heard a peep from him. So it's the press has been good ever since he's he's been there. They're they're happy to have him. They they understand that the game that they were both just playing. So in the sake of moving uh, on to our sixth uh, question in this, are you guys ready to hear some stuff? about the Minnesota passing offense and Kirk Cousins specifically that I honestly don't think any of us are prepared to hear. <clears throat> so some of the stuff that, you know, is obviously relevant because Justin Jefferson went down and Marcus, you even said that you were concerned about what might happen with that passing game. You have to put in context what Minnesota has been doing as a passing attack. Kirk, Kirk Cousins is on pace for 697 pass attempts. He's averaging 41 pass attempts a game, right? So his per games right now are 300 yards passing, which equates out to 5,100 yards for the season. Patrick Mahomes led the league last year with 5,250. So you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, MVP, Super Bowl winning, you know, rate of passing yards. Now, when you look at Patrick Mahomes last year, who set the benchmark for passing touchdowns, he was on pace, or he threw 41 touchdowns last year. Kirk Cousins is on pace to throw 44 touchdowns. I mean, 5,100 yards and 44 touchdowns passing is like drunk Jameis Win Winston minus the interceptions. So that team is, like we said on last week's podcast, it's a perfect passing environment. You have a, a, you have a competent quarterback with a absolute Sean McVay pass-happy offensive coordinator. He has viable weapons, better pass blocking than run blocking, no real, hey, this guy's the squeaky wheel, we got to give him the ball as far as a running back and a garbage defense. You have a perfect situation. So players like Jordan Addison and his yards, yards per route run and all of his metrics, all the, you have, one of the most heavily targeted wide receivers in the league that just gave up 30 to 35% of Kirk Cousins' 700 pass attempts. So if you put that into the 41 pass attempts Kirk Cousins has, you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of like, you know, 12 to 14 targets that are now up for grabs to go to Addison, to go to Hawkinson, to go to KJ Osborne. So you know, you're, you're at the dance and you're not exactly thinking these are the prettiest girls, but at the end of the day, when you look at the stat line that you get in KJ Osborne's five for one, one thirteen and a touchdown in your flex, or, you know, heaven forbid Addison or Hawkinson continues to do what they're doing and Addison breaks out. I don't think they have the option to go away from the passing game, Marcus. They're going to have to. They, what do you think? They're going to sit there and run the ball down somebody's throat when they're down by two touchdowns? They're, they're going to be. No, but I, I, I do think it. I mean, yes, you can have, you have to distribute 12 more attempts, but the level of talent that you're distributing those 12 more attempts to is much lower than Jefferson. Absolutely. But the one, the one thing that I read and heard today that had me the most concerned 
is they brought Colt McCoy with Nick Mullins as their backup in, and they brought Colt McCoy in. The trade deadline, I think, is in either two or three weeks for the NFL. If you have Justin Jefferson coming back, if you have Jefferson to Nick Mullins, or Colt McCoy can move an offense, but you know, 220 in a touchdown or two every other week is not really going to move the, the meter for anybody. Um, that's the one thing that I think can slow down this this passing attack is if they sit there and they're like, let's go in the tank. We're now one in six. Let's trade Cousins. Let's pair up Caleb Williams or Drake May with Jordan Addison, Hawkinson, and Justin Jefferson going into next year. Voila, you just fixed your franchise. There is that chance, but Kirk Cousins is a proud person. I will say, number one, he loves Minnesota, and he has a no-trade clause, so he's not going to just go anywhere. So the idea of him moving his family in the middle of the season, anybody that watched the quarterback special on Netflix, he's a pretty family-oriented guy. For him to move his family, sit there and spend more time away from his family, trying to learn a new playbook and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's a given that he's going to accept that trade or go somewhere else. All right. We are getting to uh, what you've all been waiting for to update your fantasy lineups. We're getting into the ballers and fallers where I will start with Pacheco. So I'm going to give a stat here very quickly. And my point's going to be over with Pacheco. He is playing the Denver Broncos. We are only going into week six. These are some of the stats from the running backs that have played against Denver. Brees Hall, 28.4 fantasy points, his career high. Khalil Herbert, 22.2 points, his second most of his career in a game. Devin Achain, 51.3 points, his career high. Raheem Mostert, 45.2, his career high. And Brian Robinson, for God's sakes. 28.9 points scored, and that was his career high. If you have Pacheco on your team and you leave him on the bench for this matchup, you shouldn't have him on your team and you should trade him to somebody else because <laughs> if there's ever a week you're going to start him, it's this week for fireworks. My faller is somebody that's in my main league, and it's A.J. Brown, and it pains me to say that because he's on a little bit of a heater right now. He is going up against the second-best pass defense, against the uh, perimeter wide receivers in the New York Jets. They have only given up 206 yards a game, and all of that is not even to the wide receivers. That's just as a team in passing defense. In five games, they've given up seven pass TDs. He's obviously going to get covered by Sauce Gardner. None of that is good. If you have A.J. Brown and you have somebody that's a top 20 receiver, you might want to put somebody else in there because uh, this might not be the week for AJ. I'm going to hand it over to uh, Marcus to hear his uh, ballers and fallers. Well, I have somebody from the same matchup, but he is a faller. Bryce Hall, you ain't running it back. Give it up. You're not going to put up 35 points. Nobody runs on Philly. I think the last uh, running back that ran on Philly was Williams from the Rams. Ran for 53 yards. This is the number one running back against Philly's defense. It's not going to happen. I think he's projected uh, running back seven for 78 yards. Nah, pass. Uh, for my baller, unfortunately, I'm going to have to you know, go against the Lions. It's going to be uh, Mike Evans going to be my baller. He's projected 27th. 
wide receiver right now. The line secondary is pretty well beat up. I think uh, Baker's going to start slinging this thing out there. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a great game, but um, I think Mike Evans is going to be climbing those rankings quite a bit. Ryan? I don't have to do fourth row, 50-yard line. Cannot wait for it. I, like we said earlier, in our lifetime, I don't know. I've never felt this feeling of what it's like to be a Lions fan like this. So the fact that I can wear all this with pride warms my heart. This is a very, very new feeling to me. So, um, hey, my ball is a follower real quick. Marks, I'm not sure who Bryce Hall is, but Bryce Hall was my baller for last week. It was a little bit of a layup that I didn't nail. Hey, good. Two of my other honorable mentions of followers, the Nico and Alave. Hope you didn't play those. Nico had an AJ Terrell effect that is a real thing and watch out for going forward. So this week, my ballers, we already kind of talked about Minnesota's offense. Hey, absence of JJ is going to open it up for somewhere. I don't think it's going to the outside. I think Kirk is going to look for a very reliable target that he trusts in against the Chicago defense. That is very, very soft. My baller is TJ Hawkinson. Now, as for fallers, I also mentioned this guy a little bit earlier, too. Kind of was talking about on the San Fran thing. I think Ayuk's game has become very much deep play dependent and touchdown dependent. Cleveland is very, very good against the pass. Also, we have to take into consideration game flow. How do you see that game going? Because the way I see it, you either have a banged up Watson or an underperforming Watson under quarterback. Or if Watson isn't play, let's enter former XFL star Philip P.J. Walker at starting quarterback. I don't think San Fran is going to have to score or have to do a lot to score. And if Ayuk doesn't get off in the early part of that game, then that's going to be a that's going to be a run out the clock and let's uh, let's salt that game to a win at the end. So I I'm staying away from those guys. So. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the functional fanaholics. We loved having you. We can't wait to talk to you again next week. Make sure you like and subscribe. I can't tell you how much it helps grow this podcast. Uh, any league mates that are in this are friends like Ryan stated, please contact us in DMs if you want to be on. We'd love to uh, see some of the faces and meet some people around the different leagues that we're in and talk football with you. Yeah, I mean, I hope that everybody enjoyed uh, two-thirds of the ownership of this uh, group. So uh, I'm just happy to be on and happy to maybe uh, learn something more about fantasy football. <laughs> Mark is happy to have you. So, hey, listeners, sorry we already let you down. I didn't mean to lie to you. We we're supposed to keep this to 45 minutes. Failed. So, we'll do better. But, hey, you know what? Like Mike said, like, subscribe, send some feedback. We love you. We appreciate you. We do this for you.